guys. Welcome back to Love and Grit. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And just like you, we are still working well broadcasting from the comforts or discomforts of our homes. The amazing Philly stories continue and so shall we. This week, Anya Lachelle is back from Philly Live on NBC10 to give us the good news. We will check in with John Fazio, CEO of Nerd Street Gamers to see how his business is sustaining and preparing for our new normal. Also, Philly's own music directing dynamo, Eugene Man Man Roberts will let us know what life is like now that he too is home and not able to tour with your favorite superstar artists. But first, we need a lightning round. What are we going to do? All right, you guys, let's do your favorite Philly college or university, because even though us three are out of college, doesn't mean we don't enjoy the amenities. Because I, I know <laughs> That's I, the truth. I do. Can I go first, please? Yes. I know one of y'all is going to steal it, but I'm just going to say, sorry, Temple, but you, Penn, you are my favorite Philly college because the food trucks, Urban Outfitters is on campus. I'm sorry. I just, you, Penn, you rock. And I just wanted to say that's my favorite. Rachel, you can go next. Oh, you're so polite. I'll give a shout out to HBCUs. So um, Cheney and Lincoln. Mine would be Drexel, because that's where I got my MBA. It's also right next to Penn. So you got all those amenities. And Drexel's really building up their campus too right now. It's amazing how much they're doing in Schuylkill Yards. And it's really going to be a future hotspot of Philadelphia. Speaking of good, good music is one of the main things that's feeding our souls these days. And Eugene Man Man Robbins has been making good music with the likes of J. Cole, Snoop, Kanye, Wiz Khalifa, and more since he joined John Legend's camp at the age of 19 years old and never left. Yep, we will get into that and all the dope things he's doing online to keep us entertained and inspired. Family! What's up, though? Virtual hugs. <laughs> you got a um, lot of keyboards. I literally own like 40 keyboards. Wow. As soon as I first started getting on the road, I, I kind of learned the road side from being a tech. So when I started with John Legend, I was a drum tech and stage manager. When I started with Teddy Riley, I used to set up his talk box as a vocoder and just be in charge of his stuff. So I kind of learned the whole stage setup tech background thing first. So being an MD now and putting shows together, I have like a greater respect for everybody, but I also know the inner workings of how to make it happen and make it as precise as possible because I know the building blocks of what this team needs to do, that team needs to do, and that team needs to do. What does a music director do? A lot of people have their own definition of it, but me, I feel like my job is to make the artists as amazing live as possible with every element from when the lights hit with the music or whether it should be dark or whether we should extend an outro or whether we should just go straight into a song or it's like, hey, you do it like this all the time. It's a lot of producing. Yeah, you're basically producing a show and the more knowledge you have with the technology side of it, like I said, I have a bigger tech background, so I'm more into knowing stage design and stage plots, what works, what doesn't work. Like I said, I just kind of make the artists as great as possible live with everything I can, teaching the band, coming up with arrangements, doing programming, helping with stage design, helping bounce the right edits for the choreographer, or if the artist has to go do a feature, making sure I send the right files. It's limitless. What would be your advice then as more people are doing things on a smaller scale, but like Instagram Live, what type of tips would you give people in that arena? This day and age, technology is so incredible and so many people are at home right now learning it. So you have to have the best presentation 
presentation possible. You know, you see some people's lives and the audio is terrible. Going live with somebody, that's more tricky. But when it's just you and you're posting a clip on your page, make sure the audio is right. Make sure you can have the best video as possible. Reach out to people, build relationships. Stand on that man, man, because say for instance, the whole world is watching D-Nice, right? Yep. And somehow he's able to take his sound, to take those turntables, put it into Instagram and make it come out and we can hear it on our Bluetooth speakers like he's here. Well, because he's using this thing from Roland. I have like three different versions of it, but this is one version. This is like a little Roland Go mixer. You have the different inputs, like a little mixer, but what it does is it goes USB out directly to your phone. So wow. it's like plugging in anything straight into here. So that's why like a D-Nice, DJ Active, Jazzy Jeff, Quest has one. Uh, Jermaine Dupree has one. Lil Jon has one. Like, all those people are using... Can I just... I'm sorry not to be in the pockets, but just yeah. for the people that's listening, what is the budget for something like that? For one of these devices? Yeah. $100. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh. Like, some of them are like... They have another one called the Go Livecast that for is for more, like, podcast people, and it has, like, sound effects, hand claps, and that one's only, like, 200 bucks. <laughs> See, I'm glad we asked these questions. Yeah. We, so, we're now taking another pivot Like the next episode. We're going to be ready. We're going to have some hand clapping. <laughs> hey, listen, that's what I'm saying. With technology, it's a lot of it out here, and I was telling somebody the other day, listen, relationships is really all we have. Right now, everybody's in the house quarantining and chilling, so a lot of people have nothing to do with their time. So if you just hit somebody up like, hey, can you help me out with doing this? They might help you or or at least collaborate with people. Like, can you So what's your Philly story? I was born and raised in Philly. I went to all public schools. I actually didn't even go to any music schools. I went to William Penn, which is now a football field for Temple. So I grew up playing drums for years. So I was about 15, literally. Like That's how I met Spank and Boots and uh, Daryl. Like I was a drummer. What got you into drums? How did that happen? Uh, just growing up in church. Like, that's like the first instrument you learn how to play almost. <laughs> like, and, and quick footnote for everybody, those names he dropped, like Spank, Daryl, these are drummers for, for Pharrell and Gaga and things like that that are all from Philly. Yeah, we all practically grew up together before the internet. Actually, a more backstory is, when I was about like 13, 14, I used to go to this gospel convention and a lot of the musicians used to play there. So nationally, you would have like the Mike Reed that plays for Janet. You would have Aaron Spears that plays for Ariana Grande now. So we all have known each other for over 20 years or so. So to see each other doing what we're doing now, running into each other in random countries, it's just like we never even talked about, yo, 20 years from now, we're going to do this. We never even talked about it. But for us to all be in the same place now, it's all happening. Have the same relationships and be able to communicate with each other and help each other it's like really pretty great but back to my philly story so <laughs> i just grew up playing drums in philly and then i started playing for temple university when i was still in high school then i kind of switched over and started playing keys because it was a lot of drummers and then i wanted to have more control of the music or like i'm hearing things like we should go here we should go there but not knowing notes and not knowing anything i couldn't really direct where I thought the music should go. So I had to kind of start digging into playing keys and learning more musically. So from that, I just kind of shifted randomly into just being a keyboard player. I was always into sounds and other things that a lot of people weren't into. So it was always like I would get calls just because it was like, hey, just come do you. Do what you do, whether that's talk box, folk corner, just sounds or whatever you do, do you. And that just, just became my thing. And a lot of us, we all grew up playing with this gospel rapper, T-Wise. We literally, like, was touring the East Coast almost every weekend, like, three SUVs full of gear. We were, like, doing that, like, as teenagers. So it was just, like, we didn't even know we were preparing ourselves 
for like the next part of life. So as we all got older, we all started doing different things. Kenny started playing with John Legend and everybody just kind of started playing with other people. So then Kenny hit me up like, yo, they need a tech guy that knows a lot of technology out here on this tour, like, you know, help set up the stuff on stage. I went out there for like three months, learned the whole ins and outs. And then I kind of was playing keys by then. So it was like, oh, no, you, you want to cover this gig? The keyboard player not going to be there. Then that was just a rolling snowball effect to me start playing with John. And then I was on a gig for a couple years. And then I left and went out with Kanye. We did the Glow in the Dark tour. That was a Philly tour for sure. Between NERD and Kanye's band, it was all of Philly. Philly. And we had a ball. Like, hey, the band bus leaving. All right, we're going to get on NERD <laughs> bus. We see you in the next city. So John came to see the Kanye show. and was like, you know, I'm thinking about changing up our band and I want to get a new drummer. And I was just like, all right, well, who's going to be the MD? He's like, you know, I haven't really thought about that. You know what? I'm going to give you the opportunity. He just kind of put me in that position. We hired certain people and that's just been the history of that. And that was 2008, nine. Wow. What do you have going on next? Man, next or right now, being honest, I haven't stopped working since any of the pandemic just because I was so ahead on like learning video and different things. So I've been helping out artists and certain labels with doing like the split screen video recording. The global I, citizen performance that you did with John Legend. Yeah, did yeah. you like make that happen? And So the crazy story about that is John is not like the technology dude. Like he don't have a studio at his house. Like, he has a grand piano that you see him perform on with all his awards behind it. So that vocal, believe it or not, was recorded on a cell phone. And like, I had to test it like four times wow. to get it right. It was just That's like, amazing. all right. So I'm like, hey, listen, put the phone there, step back like six feet, use your iPad to play the track, record the vocal. He sent the vocal to me. I mixed the vocal while he was getting dressed and doing his uh, video prep calls with the other team to get the videos ready. I had to make a track for him real quick to send it back to him for him to record his videos to and mix the real version while he was recording his videos to get the real version of it to the editor. So we did that all like in real time. Like that's amazing. So that's been my thing, just one-stop shop as much as I can get. And then other things, you know, as a music director, I always try to make sure my friends work or just musicians I work with, making sure they eat. So sometimes I'll take a project. I might not make much off of it, but like I know other musicians are at home. So it's like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to play keys on this song. I'm going to get my homeboy to play guitar instead. So let's pay him. Like, you know, so I'm just doing that type of thing, making sure other people are working. It's a lot of connecting. You know, all relationships, no matter what industry or what field you're in, you have to treat it like a real relationship. You just don't get married the next day. Like you mm -hmm. have to work into having nicknames for each other you have to work into knowing that that person gonna answer your call no matter what they're doing like you have to work into that so when you build relationships as that person grows actually you can grow too i always tell me people musicians have credit either you got good credit or bad credit <laughs> right and then you have no credit. This and is no really credit. everyone. This is no a life credit. lesson. No credit. No one's going to hire you or work with you because it's kind of a big gamble. Yeah. Bad credit, you might turn it around because people are like, oh, yeah, they've been on time. Yeah, they actually wore what everybody was supposed to wear. Like, you know that? Oh, yeah, they knew the music <laughs> this time around. Like, you can build that. And then good credit <laughs> is just good credit. 
<laughs> I mean, everyone's live on Instagram. They think Everybody they all have something, something to are. say. It's, Not everybody has something to say. With their head cut off. Instagram live is like going to Bourbon Street. Like you go in this bar, you see, oh, it's not cracking. <laughs> That's you go to the next bar. You know what? Uh, they got cheaper drinks. I'm going to pull over for a minute. Someone no. needs to come up with some Instagram live etiquette. Well, the etiquette is just know that comments are not in real time. And you can't use a device on both ends to play audio when you're on a split screen with a person. Now, the thing that is the new wave that everybody is about to be using is Twitch. Twitch is like a social media platform. I guess I want to say it's like a YouTube channel, but it's more HD. It's more for gamers. People also don't understand the iPhone is, first of all, the best camera you're going to get in life sometimes. It's a great mic on there. So when some of these battles you're seeing and the audio is really great, that's because they just got the phone and they just got it back far enough. So that way, you know, like the mic is a good representation of your ears. So you got to back up a certain distance. You know, the name of the podcast is Love and Grit. We know that Philadelphia and the countryside has plenty of love. And we also know that we're resilient. And right now with everything that's going on with COVID-19, this is a lot more grit. But to you and being in your industry and being a Philadelphian, what does Love and Grit mean to you for not only your business, but just you as an individual? And as a Philadelphian. As a Philadelphian, I feel like I always try to lead with love just in life. Like, I'll just love on people. Like, that's, that's who I am. Like, I'm always the guy. If you ever meet anybody that knows me, they're like, oh, he's always the same because I'm always the same. Like, Thank I don't, God. like, I always believe that I'm in control of my energy, my happiness. So through all of this with love, the love and grit to me is like, I'm getting gritty with making sure I'm getting in circles and places and things that I would never do because I needed to show love to all my people that need to get this money. Because right now, I know for a fact that these companies have money that they need to spend to pay people to do content and do different things. Like I know that. A lot of people are out here. If you notice on my page, I don't go live often. I'm never like you've never seen me doing like, hey, look at my look at my screens and look at my videos and look at like I don't do that because there will be a time where people need to pay to see that. Or there will be a time where companies like right now, like with my keyboard company, I don't do a lot of videos because I know when it's time for me to do something, it'll be exclusive. And people love exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, they love it. The more you go online, the more you do anything like that. Think about it. People pay a lot of money to go to a club that's only selling 100 tickets. But if it was 500 people in that club and with the same people going to be that is there, cool. it's not as cool because people love exclusivity. So that's why I pick and choose who I play with, who I work with, who I choose to do anything with. And whose podcast you come on. We appreciate that's right. it. Very, very, no, very true. And then we know that in different times you're traveling a lot more. So in the spirit of travel, do you have a favorite place or restaurant oh or like a favorite spot within our region? I like to eat. So like I always go to Devin's. Uh, yo, it's this place called Chicks down on 19th in Washington. It's a random pub. They put it is a good nowhere. place. I, I don't they live have, too far from there. They have amazing wings and they have this salad with salmon on top. That's so amazing. Mm. It's great. Yeah. Mm. Santucci's for pizza. Yeah. I think I can't really wait to get back out the house. Like I'm a supporter. So I try to go to everything that happens in the city. Hey, can you play us out? You want to play something to play us out? All right, I'll do some Philly.
Southern grit. Oh, uh, yeah. Philly's on, because we was in here. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, no problem. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's been a vibe. It's been a vibe. Never not a good time for some good news. So we always have time for Anya Lachelle from Philly Live on NBC10 because she's always got time for us. Hey, Anya. Hey, everybody. So much good news is happening. My alma mater, Westchester University, a couple of music students from there have launched Worldwide Gratitude Day. It's basically a social media movement. They're encouraging people to post their own covers of Bill Withers' Lean On Me using the hashtags, hashtag Lean On Us and hashtag Day of Gratitude. This is to pay homage and honor all of the COVID heroes who are working the front lines right now. And so I absolutely love this, especially with music being one of my side passions. I love the efforts of what they're doing. I think you all should post a cover of your own. You can sing, you can play an instrument, you can dance to the song, whatever you want to do. Um, I, can't, but yeah, I, can't I think do it's a really nice that. gesture. <laughs> yeah, this is not the right crew for that. <laughs> I would pay money to hear you sing, Justin. Go ahead, Serenader. Go no. ahead. How much? How Go much? ahead. Yeah, how much? I'm listening. Hopefully, we'll see you on Philly Live soon. Yes, I can't wait to be dancing again. Hopefully, you guys will dance with me. I know you don't want to sing, but you could at least hopefully bust a move. Mm, I'm not going to dance either. I know how to smile pretty. <laughs> yeah, we'll smile next to you. I, I'm ready. I'm, any dance challenge, I'm ready. Okay. Like is going to represent. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right, talk Bye. to you guys later. Thank you. So esports waited a long time to be taken seriously in the sports arena. And now that John Fazio is here to usher gamers into their full potential through his local tech powerhouses, Jarvis, along with his venues and mobile trucks via Nerd Street Gamers, he is leading Philadelphia's foray into the multi-billion dollar esports industry. So you know we have to get the skinny on the current state of gaming from a Philly master. So John, I'm not a gamer. Explain this to me. What is going on? Because it seems like it's huge. Yeah, you know, I think for a non-gamer, my story is kind of like a helpful analogy or narrative. And so, you know, I grew up privileged individual with a talent in soccer, but also was a hardcore computer nerd. And so I had this really big kind of dichotomy that I was a computer nerd at night and an athlete during the day. And I had two sets of friends that just didn't communicate, didn't hang out. And at some time in my high school, I got a chance to go to a mall that had a cyber cafe and they had a gaming tournament going on there. And for the first time, both sets of my friends wanted to hang out. Both sets of my friends are like, wow, we have a common interest playing video games. And so it was this very profound moment for me where it merged my two groups of friends. But more importantly, my whole life, I had this privilege of, you know, that soccer was giving me where I was being sent around the world, playing in tournaments, traveling the country. It paid for a portion of college. You know, it built the network that I had and built my career on. And so my gamer friends who were putting in just as much time and practice as I was training and playing for soccer, they had nothing, no upside, no benefit. And then for the first time I saw this tournament and said, wow, it like kind of light bulbs went off these traditional sports pipelines would apply to video games. They're the same form of competition, just non-physical. And that's a wider demographic than traditional sports appeal to. So that's really the essence of competitive gaming. Video games can apply to this wide demographic. Last January, we held a $15,000 Hearthstone tournament, which is a type of video game. And the winner was physically disabled with no usage of his hands. There's really no traditional sports that are open to that type of person. And now they've got competitive pipelines, life opportunities, 
you know, meeting friends or being social. Competition teaches you camaraderie, losing communication, leadership. All these things now are applicable to people who can't play sports. Wow. Can you explain to everybody what Jarvis and Nerd Street Games place is in the industry? In that way? Yeah. So, you know, the story I told you about going to a mall and seeing this competitive gaming tournament, that was 2004. And so by 2006, I was going to Drexel University to play soccer and build a business plan called Digital Gaming Arena. And I wanted to build a network of gaming facilities across the country to replicate traditional sports for video games and failed miserably to raise capital. And I had been, as I said, kind of a computer nerd, parents who pushed me towards monetizing my skills in computers. And so I had a background freelancing, doing website development repairing and building computers. And so when I failed to raise capital for the digital gaming arena concept, I started Jarvis with Chris Alfano, my, my partner here in Philadelphia, really with the idea that let's take the skill set we have, which is coding and monetize it. And that grew into a very influential boutique software engineering firm that services the city of Philadelphia, Comcast, and a number of Fortune 500 organizations. And what happened was seven years into running Jarvis, we were just running LAN parties, which is where you bring all your computers together and play video games at night in the office. And so we're just having fun. And while we're doing that, a friend called and said, hey, do you want to run a tournament for Counter-Strike? And we said, yeah. And as soon as that question came in, the light bulb went off that like, oh my gosh, we have a company that can fund what we wanted to do, what I wanted to do back in 2005. Let's do it. And that was how we created Dirt Street Gamers. And three years after incubating it inside Jarvis's venture incubator, I decided to take it over full time and jump onto Nerd Street Gamers. And Chris Alfano and Kevin Clow, my partner there, had taken over Jarvis. One of the amazing partnerships Nerd Street now has is with another Philadelphia company, Five Below. And the goal of that is to get underserved populations available to play the games, right? Yeah. So one of the things that was very obvious to me at a very young age was that we're not all here having the same experience. And, you know, so one of the, my, my favorite kind of life anecdote stories is I was, I think, nine years old and it was Christmas and I really wanted this BMX bike. And my father got me a Robinson bike, which was a really good bike, but it wasn't the bike I wanted. And I complained. And so my dad sticks the bike in the back of the car, drives me down to Kensington, which was not the Kensington that it is now today. It was a very different Kensington. And I got to look at a bunch of people who weren't having the same Christmas as me and who didn't have presents and didn't have parents and privilege and the things that I had. And so at a very young age, I got that understanding that like, this is not the same experience for us all. And so when it comes to sports, one of the things that was so exciting was suddenly it was an even playing field. Like your economic background didn't stop you from getting seen by a college and getting recruited. And our pro leagues are built on that opportunity. And for video games, it was really clear to me that there's not access to the same opportunities for everybody. This is expensive to buy this computer. It's expensive to buy this video game. It's expensive to keep, you know, accumulating this software that I need to stay relevant relevant and pay for the internet. And so suddenly the rich kids have an advantage because of their equipment. You know, my better soccer cleats didn't make me a better player. Right. And so that was really obvious. And we wanted to make these facilities crack that barrier. And so really the essence of what we do is lower the barrier by making these facilities more affordable, connecting with high schools, specifically high schools that need it the most that are in disadvantaged communities and might have hundreds of kids who want to sign up for their esports league that somebody like Play Versus, which is this national high school esports league, they're offering these awesome competitive opportunities and these high schools go great. We have a hundred kids here who would love to play and be on the esports team. 
but we have no lab. We don't have computers. And none of those kids have PCs. So we don't really know how to participate. And what we did was, you know, build a model that could go into these, you know, areas and service them just like your community basketball gym or your football stadium or ice hockey rink that gets rented by maybe five schools and they all use it and they all take advantage of it as a cooperative scale. And so that model was in place when we scaled our Philadelphia uh, building and then five below approached us, you know, said, hey, you know, our whole essence of being is making consumer products as affordable as possible and, and lowering the barrier of entry to consumer products. And so um, you guys play really nicely. And guess what? We have an extra three to 6,000 square feet of space in every one of our 700 stores across the country. Can we plug and play your concept? And it was just like a match made in heaven. They were a really dream partnership. And so we have two stores that are under development now that will hopefully be done this year with the current situation. It's very possible they get pushed pushed the next year, but then a rapid rollout strategy to build 75 in three years. So it's going to be a really interesting partnership that it's an alignment of brands, but it's scale. So now on the flip side of this, when you have 75 stores all across the country servicing high schools in 75 different locations, those stores provide a connected scale to leagues, to operators, to game publishers, to brands and advertisers who, you know, advertisers would love to be taking part in a demographic that accesses local communities. But it's hard. You have to reach 75 different communities and you have to coordinate those marketing campaigns. We serve it up at scale. So that scale is an opportunity in and of itself that we're really chasing with that partnership. I've seen promotions for esports competitions and it might be something nationwide where all of a sudden these players, you know, they're in a house together or an apartment together and it's renting for these national competitions. What does that mean for camaraderie and when it comes to relationship buildings and your teammates how does that work within this arena outside of traditional sports you know there's kind of two things you referenced there which is like the living together team houses and you know that's an element that some teams like some teams don't like you know Mm -hmm. that, that, that kind of changes but the other piece there is the playing in person versus sitting at home and playing online and this pandemic has highlighted this more than ever that our experiences are not equal you know there's plenty of people saying oh stay at home you need to stay home there's other people saying like i'm doing my best and i don't have a lot here (laughs) there's not a lot you guys are on computers and watching tv and i don't have that so what do you want me to do and so you know it's clear that we're not all having the same experience when we talk about playing in esports a lot of us take for granted the fact that we can just jump on our computer and play when other people need that in-person facility just to get access to it and so you know that that's a piece the other piece here is being in person is social and so one of the worst problems that the video game industries has is toxicity and where does toxicity come from anonymous online culture when you can't see each other when you don't know my name where i'm from people start talking in ways they would never speak in person you see this type of egregious behavior get worse and worse and worse it snowballs but when you're face to face it's a lot more like traditional sports. All right, I'm trash talking you, but I'm not insulting your being. I'm not insulting who you are as a person because we have to you know, walk away from this together. And so then the third piece there is the camaraderie, the team building and the leadership. And when you are able to play at home, we talk to parents a lot about the social benefit, but it's really just about being able to balance it and put it in a productive framework where it's not, you know, an obsession and an addiction. It's a productive usage of time. And so, you know, what parents take for granted is that kid who's on Fortnite for four hours might have talked to like 1300 people. Well, see, I was going to ask you that, John, because you are a rock star in the industry and people listen to you in that way. For parents, especially who are home right now with their kids, and because this is a sport that you can play at home at any time of the day, what would you suggest to them as a limit of 
all right, four, five, all right, you were on stick for six hours a day. Like when is... <laughs> so the first thing I will say is I, I, you know, I respect anybody's right to parent. I have a five week old, so I'm new to this experience. You know, this oh, is my first. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. So I'm not going to sit here and say there's a silver bullet and there's an answer for everybody. Mm-hmm. The other reality is esports is not zero sum. A lot of athletes play and are, and are very big in the esports industry. You know, so for instance, the Philadelphia Union's EMLS professional player for the previous two years is getting recruited as a top soccer candidate to go play soccer as well. So you know, if you're a parent of a kid who's playing traditional sports and video games, you have a very different equation than the parent whose kid doesn't want to go outside and just wants to sit and play video games. So There's no silver bullet here, but what it really comes down to is, in my mind as a parent, it's about your objectives and plan. Like, what do you want your kid to be? How do you want them to communicate? What social framework do you want them to have in a few years, not just tomorrow? And so, you know, on a longer term trajectory, where does that balance fit? Is it, you know, that they can play a couple times a day? Is it that they only have certain days a week? It's really just about balance like anything else. The thing you don't want to do is extremify the experience because the, the, the one thing I know for sure as a kid and now as a parent is you're going to make the kids want to do it the more you tell them not to. And that's what drives a lot of these addictions. So, you know, being responsible in your communication and saying like, this could be an addiction and and communicating that to your child and saying, this is not something that has to be an addiction. It has to be a bad thing. Look, kids are getting scholarships, just like the kids are getting scholarships for football, but you have to treat it the same. That's true because they're utilizing different skill sets. So that's a plus. And for someone, you know, if you have a a younger child, all these Zoom meetings that are taking place, if it's a period of time that they're occupied and we get to sit and have this conversation, then you know what? It's not too bad. And the thing I was saying before that is that, you know, really, you know, if a kid spends four hours playing Fortnite and talks to 1,200 different people, it's the framework you give them in their usage of communication that matters. So if they talk to 1200 people and of that, you know, 25% were really terrible instances and they were saying awful things, what was the framework that you've given them to deal with that? Because we're all, we live in this world together. We're all going to experience that one way, shape or form. Even the most privileged individuals will some form experience that. So how do you deal with it? How do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with strife? That's about your framework, you know, that you give them. And then there's a ton of good experiences. Just the idea of jumping in and out and having to empathize with 40 different personalities. Like last night, I was playing video games with somebody who was in Kentucky and somebody who was in Boston and somebody who was in Virginia. And like, there's not a lot of experiences that you get like that, but I'm jumping in and out. I'm empathizing. I'm learning how they think. We're talking in between matches. We're getting an idea of, you know, these different demographics. Those are things your kids are doing. And so it's good to highlight and understand those while giving them a framework, you know, to deal with the bad side. And so this is what we're really passionate about is it's not just the hardware infrastructure. It's also the infrastructure that kind of provides a framework of opportunity because we focus on financial privilege. And that's a big piece, but there's another big piece of privilege too, which is social privilege. Just having a communication framework to to communicate your ideas and not just want to hit somebody when you're angry. Like I got that from my parents and other kids didn't have the parents I had that gave, gave them that. And so they're hitting somebody, not because they're a bad person, but because they weren't given a framework to deal with their emotions. You know, social privilege and that framework, even if we gave hardware to every 
single kid. Some of them, unfortunately, have backgrounds, home environments, and situations where that social framework isn't present. And so we're going to do our best to give that to them as well. Okay. That comes through summer camps. That comes through after-school programs. It comes through things like just you know being a part of a team. How many stories have you heard where that underprivileged kid got a really good opportunity just by being a part of a team? And all they needed, you know, their social framework for dealing with adversity and moving forward and planning and practicing and discipline just came from sports and being on a team. And so video games gets to do that too. I think it's really interesting too, because we're going to have a physical manifestation of this phenomena in Philadelphia with building an arena in the sports complex for gaming. I mean, some people would never be able to believe that that is happening. Uh, so some people don't believe that we have a physical manifestation of store open in Philly for three years now, you know, already working with high schools and that 10 of the Philadelphia school district high schools have esports teams, uh, you know, so a lot of wow. people don't already know where this has gone. And every major university in Philadelphia, if they don't have an esports varsity team, they have an esports club team now and they're using our facility. And so the fusion arena that's getting built down there is an incredibly exciting opportunity. But to me, it's way bigger than Philly. Like that's a global phenomenon. We're, we're going to be an arena that's at global scale. That's going to attract people from all around the globe. And people are going to be looking at this place as kind of a support system to that ecosystem is what we're building on Broad Street. So they're going to be on South Broad at the complex. We're at Broad and Cow Hill and North Broad where we're building a massive, what we're calling the nerd block. We took over three floors of the building. The first floor is our local host, which is a 20,000 square foot facility that can house a thousand people to watch watch events, compete and train. It can take over a hundred high schools at a time in a tournament basis on a weekend basis. So it's a scale facility for the community. And then the second floor are professional training facilities that we've integrated and we'll be announcing soon with some of the local colleges and the pro teams that are dedicated training facilities. And we're putting our Nerd Street HQ and headquarters on the fifth floor where we currently have 55 employees and we'll be at close to hundred by the end of the year. Can I just ask, because I know people kill me if I don't ask you, what are you playing? What am I playing right now? Now, I'm, I'm yeah. really playing a lot of Warzone, uh, Call of Duty Warzone. I just told my boyfriend I want him to get Call of Duty so we can play because we've been trying to play uh, NBA 2K. We're learning that. Call, Call of Duty did something really interesting now where it's cross-platform. So I play PC games. You know, a lot of my friends play on Xboxes and Playstations. And mm-hmm. so Call of Duty let us all play together for the first time. So that's been really cool to just bring everybody together. And it's been a fun experience. But, you know, I, I grew up playing Counter-Strike and StarCraft and really kind of the nerdy games and now are the mainstream pop culture culture redefining what social media looks like. So it's been a bizarre turn of events. Great work. Thanks for all you're doing for Philadelphia and the region and, and our young people. And thanks for joining us on Love and Grit. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. What a great show. And both guys have so much going on and they both have that Philly spirit. One was wearing a Phillies hat, one was wearing an Eagles hat. And they both still live in Philly. They both still see the bat. It's just, they're they're perfect Philadelphians to me. Like this was so, felt so good. Felt so good. Wonderful ambassadors for our region. I love it. I'll see you guys next time. See you next time, Jess. Bye. Bye.